Hello, hello, underdogs. This week, you're in for a real treat. I had the honor of interviewing author and proud underdog Shannon Kenny Carbonell and her husband, actor Nestor Carbonell. Shannon's book, All Is Not Lost, is a fearless and honest recount of her journey to discovering her own personal identity and her purpose in life. Shannon moved to LA from Australia when she turned 18. Without knowing anyone in the States, she put herself through college at Cal Arts in order to pursue her lifelong dream of becoming a famous actress, a goal she set for herself as a child and words she lived by. After acting in various movies and TV roles, Shannon eventually made the difficult decision to set aside her dream and to quit acting indefinitely. Despite her conscious choice to become a stay-at-home mom and to support her husband's escalating acting career, her sacrifice still left her feeling lost. Ironically, the book takes place on the island of Oahu, while Nestor was starring and filming the final season of the TV series Lost. Without giving away the entire episode, Shannon candidly shares her story of how she found herself on that island and redefined what success looked like for her personally. All Is Not Lost is a true underdog story of growth and resilience. I was so lucky to have the opportunity to speak with Shannon and Nestor, two of the most kind, genuine, and authentic people I've interviewed. To read and find Shannon's book, visit her website, shannonkennycarbonell.com, or buy it directly from Amazon. And without further ado, here is episode three of Success for the Underdog with my favorite power couple, Shannon Kenny Carbonell and Nestor Carbonell. Here we are. Thanks again, guys. Nestor Carbonell and Shannon Kenny Carbonell. We are so honored to have you on the show. And Shannon, your book recently came out, I believe in March, correct? Yes. I was actually trying to think of the date last night and I couldn't remember. Your book is amazing. And I came across it randomly, but this, this show, Success for the Underdog, has been a year in the making. So I what. I've been kind of here and there looking out for underdog success stories um, and that. kind of keeping note and keeping track of who really inspires me in terms of uh, kind of having a win at the end and discovering themselves and their identity. And that is your, your mm-hmm. story, which I'll let you tell. I think a lot of people need to hear it. I think a lot of people not only need to hear it, they need to read it because I'm not a mother. I'm 29, but I related to so much of the feelings, so many of the feelings that you described in the book. It was just so honest and uh, raw. And I saw a lot of what you were seeing in my friends and my, in my mom. Um, so I, I'm so glad you're here and that you're going to talk about your book a bit. Um, And we always start the show by asking two questions. And so I'm going to start with the first one. And the first question, how would you personally define the term success as it applies to your life today? I would now define success as and this is what most of me defines success as 
um, in very personal terms, in definitely a soulmate and a happy home life and a partner that um, we've made a deal that we're each other's partners in the afterlife too. Oh, we did. We made that deal. Okay. We did. Oh, oh my God. God. Yes, I yes, of Do course. You remember I that? did. Yeah, we wrote it down. That's right too. No, we didn't write it down, okay. but I really so in a, in a nutshell, <laughs> in a word, <laughs> you define success as having love in your life or yes. having a true home and a family. Yeah, and now I have a family. I don't define for everybody as a family, but yeah, and the, and the people around me, um, and and then being good and kind and now I sort of add on to that as I get older being brave and telling the truth and and however that affects who is around you and now and now I do define I think uh professional success as you said it so well last night what, what Barbara Barry said Oh, actress oh. Nesta worked with. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I didn't come up with this. Uh, Barbara Barry is an actress, and she worked on. Uh, first of all, thank you for having us, Rachel. So, so, and I love that you championed the <laughs> underdog story. That. No, no, we, we were. Yeah, yeah, you did. But we were, you know, getting on very quickly. But I just, well, I love that you championed the underdog story. I think we're we're huge fans of of that, and and uh, I'm so thrilled that that you saw that in, in Shannon's book. But yeah, to Shannon's point, Barbara Barry. Um, was is an actress I worked with on Suddenly Susan. And I remember one point we were doing a sitcom, this, this thing called Suddenly Susan. It was fun. It was light. But at one point she was dealing with a scene that she was, wasn't was happy. And I go, what's wrong, Barbara? Barbara? And she goes, this doesn't, I don't know what this is doing. I don't, how is this advancing humanity in any way? How does this advance the human condition in any way? And I'm, and I'm thinking, here I am thinking, I just want to be funny, you know? <laughs> And, and this is a woman who just written a book on cancer and surviving cancer. And I was like, wow, she's clearly gone through something incredibly profound. And she's in a much different headspace and she's looking for meaning, you know, everywhere. And, 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 and even if it is making people laugh, it, it should yeah. be advancing humanity in some form, not just a joke at someone's expense. So that's what, so that's what I consider professional success being in in something i mean i am i loved also too making people laugh and being entertained and transporting people to another world i love i love that for myself so i would want to also do that in whatever sort of creative space i want to take up and then give to people right i'm also not about doing a scene in my bedroom or writing <laughs> right. a story for myself so so but all that and how am I advancing humanity? Somehow? I love that, by the way, you know, advancing humanity kind of yeah, giving back. Right? I, that is such a cool thing that your friend said. Um, thank you, by the way, for your kind words, Nestor. I really appreciate that um, no, earlier. True. That was really, and I think the underdog story is important too. So that's why we're doing this. Um, oh, yeah, it is. It is. And Nestor, as always, I was frustrated last night about some stuff. And actually, to be honest, I was saying to him, um, and after my book and everything, you know, we still, you know, we have peaks and valleys in our lives and we've been having some pretty great peaks and I kind of fell into a valley. And and I was like, I feel like I'm second tier. I feel like I'm just a second tier artist. 
and I felt like that as an actress too. And and Nestor told me the Barbara Barry story, and and definitely with my book, right? I, I've my feedback has always been. Oh no, there's been some horrible critics and stuff, but that's okay. The feedback has always been that, like you know, from the people who really give me the honest feedback and people I don't know. It's been that. It's been really, really moved. Some. How is it? Well, what you I was going to say it better. No, no. What I was <laughs> no. What I was saying to Shannon is, first of all, there's nothing second tier about her in any respect, and, and and certainly not as an artist, as an actress. Shannon was such an accomplished actress, not just in theater but in television. But so much of the opportunities we get as actors are at the whim of whatever is going on in the industry. So you may not. There's a lot of talent out here that doesn't get to shine. Because, well, their number's not up, you know, in terms of, okay, here's the role that was made for you. Um, and But Shannon excelled as an, as an actress in theater and in film and television. And, and you thinking you were second tier last night and, and talking about the underdog story. Look, this is, this is a book that you poured your soul into. And as you did as an actress, and you talk about it in the book, what, how, you, how you take on everything is you, you, you bear your soul. You know, and you might be critical of a moment as an actress or a sentence you're not crazy about. But by and large, there are a lot of people who are great craftspeople, but they're not bearing their soul. You know, and to me, that advances humanity more than, wow, is this a perfectly crafted sentence or is that a perfectly acted scene? It's like, are you putting your soul out there? You know, and are you. Great point. Yeah. Are you moving people? Forget about the technical stuff. Are you putting everything out on your line, the real raw you? And Shannon wrote this book with, with she, she always said, she goes, I don't want to sound, try and sound highfalutin and have a, <laughs> have a gazillion adjectives and every, you know, and a thousand metaphors and similes. I want to talk to people as I would, as I, as if I have a glass of wine and I'm burying my soul with them, you know? And, th- and that's really what the book for me always was. Yeah. I always wanted it to be like, I was talking to my girlfriends and then I, then I wanted it to be, then then if I was not talking to them, I was talking to their friends or not to their friends, to their friends' friends. And so I just wanted it to always be intimate. But I wasn't sure if I could write a literary, um, you know, a piece of, of work that would be sitting in, I don't know, you know, in a famous library somewhere. I, I Shannon, I got to say, you know, and back to the advan- advancement of humanity, I... I think just by bearing your soul into this book and sharing your truth and sharing your journey and your story up to where you are now, um, which I I honestly consider you a writer. You know, I, I think that the the nuts and bolts of it, like the sentences, I never noticed that because at the end of the day, I'll speak for myself, you helped me and you showed me your journey. And that inspired me. So my second question, uh, the follow-up question, is how would you have defined success as it applied to you personally and to your life when you moved to LA from Australia? Oh, yeah, sorry. I sort of answered your question, the second question as well. I would have defined it very differently. I would have defined it as um, a successful, well-known actress um uh, an an award-winning actress 
Which, which is, brings me to my next question, or I guess my next point. Shannon Kenny will be a famous actress. Yeah. I love that, by the way. So for the listeners who haven't read All Is Not Lost yet by Shannon Kenny Carbonell, um, you set this goal for yourself as a little girl, I think, in nail polish, right? You wrote no, it down I in, still have in nail polish. Paper. God, that was so great. The, the details, by the way, in the book are fantastic. Thank you. Um, but... That is so interesting because on this show, we talk about goals and how they change over time. And, you know, success could mean one thing to me five years ago. And today it's completely different, you know, Mm -hmm. and with that whole your answer about family, love, um, intimacy and advancement of humanity. I love that because that's how I would define it today. I, I love that. So you set this goal for yourself as a little girl. You wanted to be a famous actress and you were in Australia, correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's where you grew up. Yep. And when did you, how old were you when you moved to LA to pursue it? 18. Yeah. I left the house at 17. We were very independent over there. I think it's reversed over there like it has here. Um, When I think kids are really infantilized here by that four years of college. Um, that seems to go nowhere, in my opinion. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I think there's a lot of pressure from society and, yes, and high schools, that. prep schools. You know, you have oh. to yeah. go to college right after high school. It's- right. And there's a big stigma on that, too, that you failed, like you were in a marriage or something. And My grandmother always said this. Uh, she got her master's degree at 50. And she said, school, school will always be there. Yes. Um, and I mentioned that in the last episode because we talked a lot about being a college dropout Mm. and that was my last guest you know in Australia the good thing that we have there is that we have um, a school certificate and then a high school certificate so kids can go to grade 10 and then if they're not academic they go off and do things that are suited to them although you see my dad he encouraged me to do French and commerce which was great I mean I love that he did very practical yeah and um and then a lot of the boys went off and did plumbing and, you know, like uh, they were electricians. Like a trade. Um, oh, yeah. they did trades. That's and, fantastic. Yeah, a lot of these guys just love surfing too. They just wanted to be in the ocean. <laughs> and they, yeah. you know, they did tree lopping. A lot of them did, um, you know, they were shipwrights on sailing boats. We, we lived on the water. And uh, and that those, they would never have wanted to sit in 11th and 12th grade and learn about history and advanced biology. And they, that, that just, they, they would have died, you know, shriveled inside, literally. And, um, well, not literally, <laughs> unless they- Maybe. Maybe, <laughs> Maybe they employed biology. Um, physically affected. <laughs> yeah, that it would have, their souls would have shriveled. Yeah. And so it was such a, and they still do that. I think less now though, but they, they still have that in Australia and you get Very a technical cool. college degree and an apprenticeship. So you actually earn money too. And, and the irony is that so many of the kids in 12th grade in Australia end up doing those exact same careers, but they just don't get started early because they're not academics. Yeah. And I wish that that was available and more sort of kosher. For I the, agree. For kids. I think yeah. it's, it's so important to at least know a trade, learn mm-hmm. a trade, figure out if you're good at it. That's fantastic, honestly. Right? I was just talking yeah. about this with a friend too. You know, um, if there was less pressure 
on university and college yep. and more freedom for, I guess, an adult as an 18 year old kid, you know, like we're wow. kids until we turn 18 on paper. Right. And then at 18, all of a sudden we're sprung into this other environment Yes, because that's what you're supposed to do. I think that is fantastic, by the way, about Australia. I wish that applied here yeah. in America. And the other thing that reminded me of that too is that because they're so far away, and it's not like they do things perfectly at all, but we're so far away that mo- a lot of Australians do gap years. It's scary but to be in America, in a lot of- though. It's scary because you you feel like the college experience passes you by or can I get back in or do I want to be with somebody younger? You know, because when you're that age, the difference between a 12th grader and a um, a freshman in college feels vast, you know, oh and my God. Uh, there's all these things that sort of hold you back when you're an American from doing that. And I kind of, I get it. I really get that. Uh, I just don't. Yeah. So we're going back to, I, I'd left home at 17 already <laughs> lived with my girlfriends in Australia mm-hmm. as surfer chicks. That's right. You're your best friends. Were. Yeah. Um, that, that sounded like a great time. Oh, <laughs> um, we had the best time. But we you wanted to the... pursue your dreams and you wanted to yeah, move actually. across the world. Basically mm-hmm. it's, it's a long trip. Um, and you got to LA and you pursued acting and you did have success. I mean, mm-hmm. you, I'm sure it was hard. I mean, I, I hear stories all the time, even from my mom, you know, that rejection, the auditioning process and Nestor, I'm sure you're familiar. I mean, more than ever, like it's just the worst feeling in the world, right. To really kind of get rejected for a part you really want. And that I think is much more difficult than writing a law brief. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, oh, no. I don't know. Different challenges. It is. It is. Yeah, certainly emotional. Yeah, but just I just want to add one little thing with with Shannon's story that adding to all of this, moving to Australia. Shannon had had worked on a soap opera in Australia at seventeen, as soon as she graduated high school, and didn't have the the resources or the means to pay for college. So you used the money you made off that soap to she Shannon had gotten into Juilliard and Cal Arts, but could only afford Cal Arts. Um, and then you had to subsequently win a scholarship every year after that, just to I be remember able, that in the yeah, to finish college. So, so adding to the pressure of, of, of trying to attain this incredible success is the fact that you didn't have any means and any, any resources other than what you, you'd sort of made as a 17 year old on a soap opera. <laughs> and your suitcase coming to California. I mean, really that is like huge to make that decision and that move on your own as a 17 or 18 is when you moved, but. That's um, it's good to be an underdog when you're young. It's very it's easy to be an underdog. It. I know, because <laughs> you kind of are. You know, there's always room for growth. Um, yes. And I think it's fascinating that you made that move for yourself. And also you are, a Cal- did you end up graduating from CalArts? Yes, I did. Yeah. It's a great school and it definitely, I'm sure gave you kind of a leg up or I guess a foot in the door. Give me a foot into, in the door. I wouldn't yeah, say that's a leg better up. word. A foot in the door is better. Yeah. It's so yeah. unconventional, that school. I did happen to be there at its most conventional, which I loved because it gave you a real classic theater training. And the the woman who ran it, um, Libby Apple, she's a great director and great. She ran Oregon Shakespeare Festival after I left. So um, actually the year I think I graduated, she's, she left to do um, Oregon Shakes and and she, it was a force. And so I felt very lucky to be there at the end of her her run as the the head of theater and it was just a really well-established classical theater training 
and um, voice and body, you know, the whole thing. So that was a great time to be at CalArts as an actor. I'm sure. And I mean, you really worked hard not only to be there, but to stay there or to mm. get there and to stay yes, there, which, stay which there is, too. you yeah. know, you got to work hard to keep that scholarship, mm. I'm sure. Yeah, um, but you also have to work hard to be in that program because they, it's very unlike uh, what the, the young kids go through these days, the millennials to say, you could get cut after your second year. It was kind of brutal. You all got letters in your mailbox um, at the end of second year to let you know if you could come back or not. Yeah, they cut half the class. Oh, my God. Uh I know it's very selective, but... Yeah. I didn't know about that. That's like law school. Law school will do that. Yes, with that, right. yeah. That's right. <laughs> They're like, like brutal you, you kind can't of handle this. Yeah. I did want to touch upon a couple moments in the book that mm-hmm. I thought were very impactful, at least for me. Um, I want to talk about your. So you felt lost. There was this feeling of, okay, I'm no longer an actress, mm. and now I'm a stay-at-home mom, and I love my sons. I'm talking for you now, but you know, and it, but it's not fulfilling you, right? Like you don't feel necessarily fully fulfilled. Not fully fulfilled. Yeah. It was fulfilling me in many ways, but I, maybe I didn't touch on that in my brain as being fulfilled. You know, it was, I I mean, I felt, I kind of loved that first couple of years because it was like this break from being rejected constantly you know you you you, it was just a numbers game too with acting a lot of the time it was you know so many auditions would would give you a job and um so it was a break from a lot of rejection and it was very new it's like how do I live this day and of course you it's just this love that when the baby comes out you I mean some people feel it when they were in the tummy but I felt it immediately that that really giving birth those days of two days for me, you know, giving birth to each child were just, um, they were the best days of my life. And it's this rush. I mean, it's literally a gush <laughs> and a, a bloody mess. And it's, it's incredible, but it's also just this gush of, love and instant so just it's like feeling like you were had air pockets in your body and all of a sudden it fills with meaning and love and fulfillment in that way but I think my mind didn't track I mean I felt it and I remember just looking at the babies well I would my first one I didn't even feed him I didn't even realize that you were meant to <laughs> what I do you mean like like breastfeeding just laid or? and watched him like a little bird the whole night well, because he was, what did you do about that now well he was sleeping no, and I'd heard I was, <laughs> I was I was auditioning I don't know no. <laughs> well I think you might have been actually no um, movie. no I, Shannon thought that because he was sleeping as well you let the let the baby sleep and then the pediatrician came in after a day and said when did you last feed the child? And she goes, no, I just let him sleep. She goes, you got to feed the kid. I'd always heard never feed a sleeping baby. And he was like a little bird, just like tripping in the thing. And I was looking at him like, oh, this is my baby. And I didn't know you meant to put them on the breast like right away. And I spent, and I was up the whole night because you have this adrenaline running through you and, and you do in this feeling and, I just didn't think I was meant to wake him. And so I, he really lost a ton of weight. She was really cranky with me. <laughs> He's still a little thin. 
<laughs> no, he's like six foot two now. I think he's fine. He's <laughs> all balanced, can you say? But um, anyway, so. But you didn't, you know, I'm sorry, I was just going to, to the uh, level of fulfillment. You felt, you're right, that rush. But I think the, the you know, and you talk about it in the book, there is this notion that there's there's a lot of shoulds, I think, in all our, li- our lives. Like we mm. were raised with a lot of should. I should do this. I should do that. And I think there's, one of the shoulds was always like, well, as you talk about it, Shannon Kenny will be, should be really a, a, a famous actress. And and when you have that almost ingrained in your body, even if we had this sort of physical thing, the physical in, incredible moment you have when you uh, give birth to a child, it you still have to sort of reconcile with that should. Yeah. that you've raised, that you've been raised or you've raised yourself with. I raised myself with. Exactly. That's kind of what I was getting at, really. I mean, um, that kind of could have, would have, should have. I remember very vividly the scene, or it scene, it's not a show, uh, the chapter where you described going to your manager's office and you yes. were going to tell her, I'm, I'm done. You know, I think you even said you were going to go to nursing school too. I thought about that. Which yeah. was surprising. Um but I remember that scene, or I guess chapter, really well because I love that you think of it as a scene, though. I know I'm like the scene. No, I'm so into TV and movies. I mean, no, but I think books should books should be like little movies. Yeah, theater should be like movies too. I remember thinking about how you left that meeting, and I think you know it's been a while since I read the actual chapter, but I, I think you you felt some kind of regret I, I forget what it was but felt, either way I felt like you felt what you were describing was some kind of emptiness it was a p- bitter bitter hole like it was this like like a it's like the opposite of like the feeling of the baby it was like a vacuum it was like all of a sudden a big part of me was just sucked away and it was my identity it was like something you've been pursuing and trying yes. to do, and you were doing it. But I got to tell you, there was a little more than that for me. And this is the part that is so embarrassing to talk about, embarrassing to admit. But since I've done it in the book, it doesn't feel, but it was a little bit of a superiority complex for me, which was a real, um, it was a real reckoning that I had to come to with myself. It was, I think part of my need to be famous was this need to be above people, is to be a little bit above the human condition. And and um, I don't know why I had, I'd sort of brainwashed myself. I must've needed that as a kid or something. And I'd brainwashed myself into really needing that Badly. Did you see that in me? Yeah, you don't embarrass. Me. No, no. I, I no. It. I don't actually. It is normal. Well, in the sense that, listen, uh, there's so much stock in fame, you know, mm. and it doesn't matter what country you're from, you know. And fame translates, you know, you know, in some European countries, it's it's viewed in a different way. There's there's fame and other aspects that are not not the entertainment business, but there's so much stock put in our society in. And, and being famous and achieving something that that many people recognize you for, and and it, I don't know that the, I mean listen you maybe you felt that that is there, I guess technically that is a form of feeling superior that you're like well you're superior in the sense that you're trying to achieve something that other people might not necessarily achieve. And but, I do think I mean I don't want to bag on movie stars because there's so many such great people, but 
I think without them, I don't think movie stars check in with themselves, like very famous people, but there is this ingrained notion if, if they were to be very honest with themselves, maybe doctors too, presidents, um, maybe everybody, maybe at the top of their game, but very much so movie stars. There right. is a belief it's sort of like the ancient Greek gods, you know, I kind of compare that to that. They're, um, I mean, they're not even real, but there's history. Aspects of life <laughs> there's and mythology. <laughs> yeah, but I really did. I thought Game of Thrones was like the War of the Roses or something. And then there, there's a huge dinosaur egg in one episode. I was like, oh. Or there's like a Starbucks cup in the corner. Well, there's and, that and yeah. nobody noticed it later. It's like, oh yeah, there's humanity. <laughs> but I don't know. There is that feeling. And I think once you're pretty in tune to that, um, it's very easy to, it's, that is what it is. That is what, yeah, it's a power thing. Well, and it is, it's a trap. The trappings of fame are exactly that. Is that, is that if you're seeking fame for, as an end all be all, as opposed to just something that is a byproduct of what you're truly seeking, that's problematic. That's when you get into trouble because now you're seeking something that is, is not about, is not really grounded in advancing humanity. Going back to that, it's advancing some some part of the ego you know that, and also that, it may be i mean from what you're saying it, it sounds like that kind of attitude also for me it would be like setting myself up for failure because totally. if it's end all oh my God, you know, this is my you? goal and that's it yeah. and if i fail then that's failure i do want to cut to the middle of the book real quick yeah um, yeah there's yeah. a moment that i just i mean i started crying i got really emotional in this chapter yeah. The one where you decided to go on that hike with Angel. Oh, um, it was like a group text and and everybody bailed except for Angel. And you yeah. decided to get out of your comfort zone, meet some people in Oahu because you had just moved your entire family there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, just for quick synopsis. But um, <laughs> for the listeners who haven't read it, but you ended up going on this hike and you called it I think it was like a turning point or that's how I interpret it. Was a it. Big, that was a big one. I had many and some that I didn't even recognize till after I sort of wrote it in my journal, you know, these tiny little micro moments, but that was a big one. That was like a real kind of, it was very lostish because it was to have to do with the environment and this thing that ha- actually happens in this forest. Um, it was, you're right. And it was, it was a text chain and, um, all the women pulled out of the hike, except one. I was like, and I was very, um, I was in a really anxious place because of what happened before that. I won't say there was a big conflict before that. Yeah, you don't um, want to ruin the, the whole story. Yeah, <laughs> but I was shaky, really shaky. And um, and then this one woman said, I'm up for it. So I had to like, you know, like. Suck it up. Yeah. like get Honestly, brave. you could have bailed. Like you could oh, have. Oh yeah, I thought about it. it. off easily, but you decided not to. Yeah. Um, and I remember that very clearly, like you did some kind of opposite action thing. Yes. Um, My instincts were just to like, no, I'm going to sleep in. I'm going to, plus I like sleeping in anyway. But I was going <laughs> to be like, I know. But I was like, and I was like, no, especially, you know, that was another thing about having kids is that it's all the things that you have to learn, like restraint, 
you know, I'm not going to punch my husband in the face <laughs> because we're trying to teach them not to hit each other. As punchable a face as it is. We have never remember. done that. <laughs> That's another say. injury. Yes. No, no, no. Not yet. Um, um, let's wait till they all go no, to no, no, no. <laughs> but, um, So I did. I went. And then it ended up being really powerful. And, uh, you know, I don't want to get the whole chapter away, but we, we talked about some pretty incredible things. Um, and I really do believe it is, in, in retrospect, hiking is an amazing thing to do with somebody that you want to open up to because for me, I don't know why I just, I'm always looking down and I think it comes from growing up in Australia where we never had sidewalks. We right. had just grass to the, to the edge of the, of the, you know, the concrete barrier, whatever that is. Well, the right. curb, yeah. The curb. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, would, that would help. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I have brain hurts all the time with simple things like that. I I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. I'm on yeah. some medicine too for my migraines. Is... But also there was that silence. It was, uh, and it's the silence. And I also think it's the looking down because I'm always trying to avoid, well, when hiking, you're trying to avoid not falling off cliffs and rocks. And I'm always also trying to avoid dog poop because <laughs> there was, I mean, our dogs went wild, just ran wild in Australia too, no leashing or anything like that. And so you had to do, always do this careful dance, you know, because I, I remember as a kid <laughs> a bunch of times and we were barefoot too a lot of the time, just like squishing. That's like here goose poop. I don't know. Oh, there's a lot of gross. Yeah. Oh, Very yeah. violent animals. Um, gross. Anyway, so the, the act of walking and looking down, and then you get into each other's pace, right? When you're walking, unless it's Nestor, because mm-hmm. he's just can't abide my pace. I'm a, fi- I'm a fast walker. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so, <laughs> and, and that just breeds conversation, I think, because you don't have to look each other right in the eye, like at a coffee store. And, so you just don't think of anything as you're doing that. And your, your pace is very rhythmic and, and you're both having to look down and you somehow we both just managed to really open up and it was fun too, but it was, I don't know. It was I, profound. I, I was yeah. very it was less forced. Yeah. It was ve- yeah. And it was unexpected. Mm. It was really unexpected. I didn't expect to tell her this stuff. And she told me stuff too that I don't think she expected to tell me. I didn't reveal any of her conversation. I mean, the connection there that you made that day. And you could have, like I said, easily blown it off and never had that. No, I could have not done it. Yeah, she took me to a place. Um, it's very hard to find. I've, I've showed friends of mine. I've tried to give them the course and they've found it. And it's like a little ancient, it's an ancient ruin. They're ancient ruins where they had the first big public luau in Hawaii back when it was Princess Kamahamamea or something. Yeah, yeah. Please forgive me. I don't know. Right. I forget how to say that now. I knew back then. And um, within these ruins, you go to another area where they actually had the luau. And because they had they had cut down a lot of trees to have it, it's more sparse. So it's not just full dense ju- uh, jungle. It's, it's trees are separated. And you stand and there's, it's like, there's a lot of valleys in Hawaii. Um, And this particular valley, they built a a big road through, Um, but you can't see the road and it creates like a little bit of a wind tunnel. And I can tell this part of it. Um, And when you stand, it's like every so many minutes, she kind of knew how many minutes 
there's it it was really like I'm lost when the smoke monster would come but it wasn't the smoke monster that there was a ripple and you saw it way up ahead and this is like a big big space of separated trees and you saw it you you heard it like you hear, you hear a little whoosh from the road but there's a different sound that comes and it's like a like a, like a sprinkler you know like a sprinkler that you put in your yard um I feel like I'm reading the book all over again like it's just perfect like it's just the, the audio description. book <laughs> I'm waiting for it <laughs> and it yeah and it, and it, and it and leaves and you could just see them just just like kind of like rattling a little bit and and they would come closer it came closer and closer and then you're sort of transfixed and all of a sudden that sprinkler of wind just sort of washed over us and she just stood there and let it happen and happen to me and that feels kind of really intimate as I'm talking about it and but it didn't feel creepy or weird or too much it just felt bright and um and she's she was a very religious person but she never ever sort of put her faith onto me no I'm you know I'm Catholic and Nestor is too. So we maintain a faith, but never was it ever referred to that. So it was really private and, but intimate, you know, it was not invasive. I don't know how she did it. It's hard. You know, you have two kids, your Nestor's working. Yeah. And I think if I remember correctly, that experience and that connection with Angel really kind of change things and I won't reveal yeah. everything but yeah it was with her and then with the land which is very important god Hawaii is so magical it is <laughs> it's mystical too and there's like I don't even know the word for it but there's a force there and I really connected to it especially that day it was sort of like you know when animals imprint on people it's felt like yeah. that like the land imprinted on me in that moment and um and it was kind of a feeling like um yeah, soulful connection. Oh, I didn't think about it. It makes me emotional. It reminds me of John Locke from Lost. Yeah, I mean, he really, Lost. I mean, I haven't finished it yet, but he really connected with that island. He did. And it's did. funny that it's the same island. Yeah. yeah. I really felt like it was the, the Hawaii going, you're going to be okay. Don't worry. Those connections and those moments, I'm glad you journaled about them too, you know, because that makes that's the writer part of you. No, I wish I was journaling today. And Nestor you're such a supportive husband, you know, being here right now uh, with your wife. And also we, we appreciate you being here. Thank you. Oh, no. um, you were working during this year. You, you were a big part of the sixth season. Yeah, I was working on it. And, and, you know, to your point, I mean, listen, no one is more supportive than Shannon, you know, and, and, and to no, me, no, it's very true. And, and part of you know, Shannon's journey, uh, you know, going back to herself, which really the, with the book details so is, is this notion of feeling lost and, uh, you know, something that you related to, even though, you know, different circumstances, you know, you, you know, you, you know, not having kids yet uh, and hers being tied to giving up her career for full-time motherhood that, you know, the sacrifice she did was enormous. Yes. For the kids, but also for me. So in a sense, she was giving up her dream so that, to facilitate mine. Um, I could think of no greater sacrifice. Also knowing how much Shannon had sacrificed, 
you know, leaving Australia, leaving your family, you know, paying for that college by herself. I mean, having no money there other than what she made in the, you know, you know, in odd jobs, you know, while she was studying so hard to keep her scholarship. So knowing what Shannon had sacrificed, you know, uh, to become an actress and then giving it up uh, to put her eggs in my basket, my, sort of my creative basket, the, I mean, I knew how enormous that was. So the least thing I could do was not, first of all, acknowledge it. And second of all, support her as she's going through, you know, this, 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 this notion, this sort of finding herself or finding her footing in her new life, which so many people, whether you have kids or not, you're an actor or not, we all feel lost at some, uh, at some point in life, you know, and, 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 but no one warns you about that. They don't warn you about when you might lose your identity. There's no class in college for that or high Especially school. Especially not moms. Yeah. And moms, no one gives the moms that I know of the heads up that, hey, by the way, you're going to lose yourself when you have those kids. They'll tell you how great the kids are, but they don't tell you what's going to happen to you. And Shannon spends an entire book. You know, as an individual, uh, as a woman, yes, as, as a woman, as yeah. an individual. Yeah. But the one thing I want to say, too, is that I just didn't want the book to be about, oh, me finding me. <laughs> me. It's not about, it's not but I didn't, I wanted it to be, um, I wanted to make it much more universal than that and to really make it um, like for a lot of people, a lot of people don't, don't. Like, it's like where your kind of dreams stop and your reality begins. It's like, that can be a really great place for a lot of people, because really, I mean, it's very few people who, who really achieve the vision, right? And, and that's why I kind of wanted to make, I had to be really careful because it's so easy, you know, to go into yourself. But I was so aware that there were so many people around me feeling the same and, and, So I really, that was my main focus. Don't just have a wank in Australia, we'd say. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, the, the Australian accent comes out sometimes. Have a wank, Mike. <laughs> I just yeah. have a wank. That. The terms. I mean, that's, but actually with Nestor, it's, it's pretty easy to do that because you are very not, he's not an actor really in, in, you are an actor in your craft, but you don't have an actor's uh, I don't know. I mean, you don't have a lot of qualities of an actor. No, I mean, I, I think I do. Not that I, I do there's love a, there's a, I mean, with acting in general, I guess there must be some sort of emphasis on a little bit of narcissism, right? Or because, it has to be. Yeah. It's probably healthy to have a little bit in yeah. your life. I mean, you can't be a complete pleaser no right? i mean that's not good i don't want my kids to be that either no no but I, there's no question of course of course i mean look you're you're telling a story from your character's point of view it's all about your point of view <laughs> but <laughs> the know, thing the is shannon like it did apply like it, it applied to my life that could not that's, be yes, more different. That's where I want. Exactly. you know and um i'm a 29 year old grad student you know that thrills me yes <laughs> yeah i when i get carded now i i thank the person for carding yes me. i know it's you rare, do so yeah. wrong. <laughs> um but i like that you brought up loss again because feeling the feeling of loss or being lost um because I, when I was doing a little research into your episode and how we were going to frame it and just kind of the book in general, there's another book I read recently by uh, Paul Angone. That's the correct way to say it, Paul Angone. Mm-hmm. Um, but he talks about there are actually benefits to feeling lost, like, quote. And he lists them out. And I think a lot of them 
apply your book. I mean, really, yeah. it's a, it's a very interesting book. It's called um, "101 a- Questions You Need to Ask Yourself in Your 20s," and then parentheses. And let's be honest, your 30s too. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Well, yes. That book was around when I was in my 20s. I oh my knew. God, it's it's fantastic. But I found that I read it after your book. So I found a lot of similar and just like everything applied really uh, about finding your identity, finding yourself in your 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever it is. And, you know, he mentions these six benefits of feeling lost mm-hmm. and the fourth fifth and sixth, I think, apply the most. Um, He says, one of the benefits is that we don't find our purpose in spite of the struggle. We find it smack dab in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. And he also said, purpose is found in the struggle. When you don't know where you're going, you understand more where you came from. And I think like, that's so powerful and applies to your book so much because it, you know, with your family and your relationship with your father and, mm-hmm. and just kind of, you know, moving so far away and not knowing where you're going next. Your book is so fantastic in that way because it's so honest and with your feelings. And that's what people, what I can relate to is that lostness, that, that loneliness, that kind of isolation, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I, I commend you for writing so well too, because it is written well and it, it, it's, it, it's written in a way where it isn't, oh, me, me, me. I don't know what you're saying earlier, but like it, it isn't narcissistic at all. It's not all about you. It's, it's really about the journey. Thank you. We're so grateful that you're here. And no, I am so grateful for your book and I have all my friends reading it now, including oh, my it. mom and her friends and so, you know, it, it's just, yeah. it's fantastic. Uh, I'm very grateful for you too. And, and I'm, and yeah, if, if somebody talks to me in a really authentic way and, and, oh my gosh, how could I not answer? Because that's, I feel like that's what I'm, I don't know. I feel like that's what I'm about. Shannon you know? is, Shannon is one of the things I fell in love with Shannon about is that she's as honest as it gets. There's a, Shannon's got the most, incredible truth meter and honesty meter you know and that's oh, it can be meter. it can be yeah, yeah it can be a double-edged sword sometimes sometimes you don't want all that truth but oh but, no i've done i think i'm kind yeah, you're very kind i'm just teasing i would never tell anybody i hate their haircut or anything <laughs> what are they gonna do exactly right? well they get a new one i no, guess but I no shannon that. is incredibly kind but it's also she's got a phenomenal truth meter and really more so with herself than anything. So she will incredibly self-deprecating, but really be honest about, about who she is and what, what she's feeling and thinking. And, and you, as, you, as you saw the book, I mean, that translates to the book. There's no, there's no BS in there. There's nothing, nothing sugarcoated about that. And, and then the response that she's gotten from the book, like your wonderful comment, to me, that to me was why you wrote it. And because it's who Shannon is. It's like, if she can speak to you, or to your mom or your mom's friends, um, you know, and 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 touch a chord in any one of you. Well, that's success. There you go. Yeah. And you achieved it. And you're still, you know, I, I learned this from my dad too. You know, you always have to stay teachable. If you stay teachable, you're all, you know, you, you can grow. And I I just think there's a lot of that in your book too. You're very uh, humble. And well, you know what? That is the that is the counter argument to my argument against college the big argument for college is that it develops a love of learning 
because you're not learning now for the SAT to somehow um, nurture a love of learning. I just love being in classes. I love it. I still love it. And to learn stuff is amazing. With your book being, I guess, nonfiction, and this is a great segue to my last question because um, I wanted to hear what you had had to answer. Uh, if you could describe, and I'm not going to hit you with this question, just you, like I'll answer my answer too okay. after you. But Ooh. if you could describe your book with like three to five descriptors, words, adjectives, um, besides nonfiction, what would those words be? That's a good one. And if you can't think of it yet, I'll give you mine first. Okay, now I'll try to think and then you tell me. Mine, um, like throughout the book, all I could think was growth, resilience, and self-discovery. Wow. Right. Those were mine sacrifice you touch upon sacrifice yes. and i thought that was a great way to describe it too because you like nestor said you did make the ultimate sacrifice i mean supporting not only your children and and being a mom to them during this time but also your your husband and him being successful you know it's really kind of you sacrificed your career and acting you know and i thought that was a great descriptor too and it's it it, it is a big sacrifice because you work so hard yeah. Kind of was, but in a way, the pull was real to the kids too. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was such a dual pull, you know? I was going to lose either way. And a lot of moms describe that. Like you make a choice, <clears throat> you make the hard, the least hard of two hard choices. So I feel like it wasn't like um, Mother Teresa. It wasn't a Mother Teresa choice. Like no, not in that yeah. way. No, but it's like, a sacrifice of self. There's no question. The sacrifice of yes, but then I cried like a baby when I lost well, myself. <laughs> a sacrifice that ended up making you feel lost for a while. Yes, exactly. Um, and that's a that's a very scary. At least for me, that's a scary feeling to not know. I guess to feel lost and not know the answers and and you know why am I feeling this way and and why can't I just be you know fine and you know with mental health too in this global pandemic sure. I mean it's so just hard. so so relevant um you no know, and it's so interesting because I I don't know if it was I was I mean it's a good place for your parents to to teach you from is because you aren't always teaching kids not to be selfish because you come into the world and it's sort of that Freudian view of children is that you are the center of your universe and you have to be because you can't do anything for yourself. Like you have, must feed me, you must make me rest, you must do all this stuff. But um, maybe it's because I'm Catholic, you know, but I was told a lot, don't be selfish, don't be selfish. I and think I Catholicism and Judaism have a lot in common, oh, especially when it comes to raising families. Yeah. Like my boyfriend is Catholic. Yeah. Um, I was raised Jewish, but how many Catholics? Jewish. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know why I always yeah. dated Catholic guys. Um, <laughs> it's it's not no, a preference, it. really. It's it just happens. A lot of commonalities, yeah. But it, it, you know, I I don't think it's a sacrifice in that you know you sacri you know your mother Teresa, but I think you made that sacrifice and. And ultimately, like, like for me, I attribute everything that happened, all the downs and ups of those eight years where I had to switch colleges and move yeah. home and drop out. And I attribute everything I have now to that. 
um, to those struggles and to those, I guess, not sacrifices, but choices, bad and good that I made in my past. Okay. I have to ask you a quick question. Yes. (laughs) Do you see yourself as a selfish person? Sometimes, but like you said, sometimes you have to be selfish. At least that's what I thought you said, because, you know, especially as an actor, I mean, you know, I, I can imagine to be a successful person, you have to look out for yourself. You do have to be selfish in that way where you have to look out for yourself in adulthood. At least I would think. And and do you? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. And I think, I don't, I think there's a question of how much selfishness is healthy because I think ultimately if you don't take care of the self, how can you take care of others? And, and and going back to your book, in a sense, you were taking care of others, but you hadn't nurtured that loss of yourself, Mm. you know, and it's almost like, you know, an airplane, when you see the, uh, the flight attendants, uh, they walk you through when the mask, should there be an an emergency, make sure that if you have a child that you put the mask on yourself first, before you put that on the child. That's right. I always thought that's just horrible. You don't care about the kid, you know, mm. the kid can't breathe. But, but no, how can you not. help the kid if you're yeah. not breathing? You know, exactly. Exactly. You're right. And it's, and I equate that in, in a, you know, it's not the same, but in, in, in a metaphorical way to what Shannon was going through, she's trying to take care of, of, of two children without having any oxygen, you know, depleting herself of oxygen for her creative self, you know? And, and, and it was a real, and it was embarrassing for her to even admit this. She's yeah. like, she, you talk about the shame in the book. It's like, oh my God. I, that I'm, is that is my biggest shame to think of myself as selfish because I think of myself as a very selfish person and I feel so much shame. And so often I think you are judging me when you're not. No, I, 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 I don't. But it's me obviously judging myself. Yeah. You know, in a way, you writing that in your book and you writing this big shame of yours and sharing it with the world, that kind of, in a way, at least I think, takes the power back. It because did. you're so many people can relate to that. And also right? the the candidness and the, and the bravery of actually admitting that in yeah. a book and, and like people, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I really read that really resonated with me. Um, yeah. And Sometimes I, I wonder if I do it too much though, because no. then I'm constantly reminding people no. I'm, Oh, I'm, I'm selfish. And then I wonder if I get the reputation of being selfish. No, no you don't. But listen, there's, there's that, it, going back to that chapter too with Angel, it's like there was that part where you told kind of what was going on in your life at, at that time. And you really shared some things with her. And and then I think you, you were kind of like, oh, did I share too much? But really, like you wouldn't have had that connection if you hadn't yeah, really sure. been honest with her. And she would wouldn't have had that connection if she hadn't been honest with you. And, yeah. and I think that, you know, that's really a great part of the book, first of all, and, and for the listeners out there, guys, you have to check out her book. Um, <laughs> Shannon, Kenny, Carbonell, all is not lost. Uh, what, what was the, te- the, the second line? Um, I have to read it myself. How I, how I, <laughs> no, no, I didn't know if you had glasses on. Oh, I do. How I friended failure on the Island and found a way home. Beautiful. But do you have a website or anywhere? Oh, we can... I do. Yeah. It's Shannon Kenny Carbonell.com. Shannon Kenny Carbonell.com. Yes. And there are links on that website to yes. how you can find the book and stuff. That's fantastic. Yeah. And now um, that we're open, I'm going to physically go into bookstores yeah, and, and make and... sure it becomes available. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, yeah, it's important. Get the word out there. 
I think it's really important that people read and hear your story, keep doing podcasts and, and to get back to it real quick, you're not off the hook. The three descriptors. Oh yes. Yes. Your, your three descriptors. Truthful. Mm -hmm. Funny. Last doesn't have succinct. to be the most important. Succinct. She's succinct. succinct. I love that. That's a great, that was the best one. Yeah, I got a lot of crap. <laughs> you did. You, no, you got, honestly. You got to the truth, yeah. It's, it's a beautiful book. Everybody out there, please, please go read it. Um, Nestor and Shannon, thank you so much. Shannon, so, thank you for, for replying to me, by the way. I was all giddy uh, my, about it. My um, pleasure. It's yeah, honestly, um, I really, I'm giddy because you're yeah. just great. And oh, I love your purpose and um, how grounded you are and how researched you are. And um, I'm patting myself on the back for having an instinct about you. Well, that's so nice. Thank you. So all these episodes <laughs> no, they end in like a like a, I don't know, an exchange of, of compliments, but that means a lot to me. Thank you so much. 